0: WTBN, Park.
1: If you want to know how to be a servant, we're going to look at that this morning. These are the qualities we need to, to see developed in, in us. Why? Because servants don't have time for bickering. Servants don't get into disagreements to the point of disharmony in the church. Servants are too busy serving others to quabble about nothing issues. Servants aren't involved in church splits and divisions. Servants just serve. So this morning we want to be very practical. We want to look at the marks
2: or qualities of a servant. In the movie Hook, Captain Hook said something to try to get Peter Pan's children to be on his side and fight against their father. He told them that their parents thought that the only thing Jack or Maggie ever said was, I want, I want, I want, me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. Of course, kids don't do that all the time, but that's still a common theme, not only for kids, but for adults, too. More and more, our society wants it all and wants it now. But as Christ followers, we are told to be different. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. Thanks for joining us for another verse-by-verse study of God's Word. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us through the second chapter of Philippians, which deals with unity in the church. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been teaching and ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His practical messages are brought to you by -by Verse-by-Verse Ministries and this fine radio station. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul told us that we are to be blameless. Let's begin our lesson by thinking about what Paul meant by that and take a look at how we might live out this command. Here is Pastor Steve.
1: What does blameless mean? certainly doesn't mean without sin. It certainly doesn't mean perfection, but it means that we're living a life of basic consistency in the eyes of others. That's what blameless means. It means that no legitimate charge can be leveled against us and stick. There may be charges, but they can't stick. That is to say, we live out what we profess to believe. Now, the world may not agree with what we profess to believe, but at least they can look at us and say they're not hypocrites. Our uh, community ought to observe that we who profess to love each other actually ought to behave that way. Let me give you some just very practical advice on this. It's something that I have uh, uh, been very uh, aware of in my own life. You may have some uh, unsaved family members, unsaved people you work with. Be very careful that you don't say anything negative about a fellow believer to that person. I have had over the years to struggle with this with my own parents. I've gone through times where I f- have felt so betrayed by believers, and of course you really want to open up with your parents and share things, and yet have held back. You can't say anything like that. You can't say that. Be very careful. And the principle is found in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul said, when you have a dispute, brother against brother, don't go to the, to the law courts to settle it. Settle it amongst yourselves because you don't take the dirty laundry of the church and spread it out before unbelievers. So I carry that principle to this very, this very issue of church unity. Don't say to the unsaved anything that's negative about a fellow believer. Now don't lie to them, just keep quiet then. They're not going to understand. So our community ought to observe that we who profess to love each other really do love each other, that, that there's no dichotomy between what you say you believe and how you live. There isn't. You need to examine yourself whether you're in the faith. I mean, if that's the pattern of, of living. See, otherwise, there's no credibility in our message. And also, Paul says, they should see you as innocent. I think a better translation than the word innocent is the word pure. In the ancient Greek uh in ancient Greek literature, this word uh, was used to pure wine or unalloyed metal. It, it means pure, not, not so much innocent. Uh, nobody here is really innocent. But he's talking about purity. Pure devotion to Christ is the thought here. It's unmixed, pure, undefiled, no foreign elements in it. That is to say, our community should view us as uncorrupted in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, they may not agree with us. Obviously, if they agree with us, they'd be here and they'd be part of the of the fellowship but at least they could see that what we say we believe we practice. Blameless and pure children. Notice what he says in verse 15. Blameless and pure children of God, above reproach, that means without blemish, without blemish, in the midst, now watch this, of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. What does Paul mean by this? It's all centered around evangelism. Paul has borrowed his language at this point from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Will you turn back to Deuteronomy? If you could find it quickly, turn back there. If not, I'll just read it. Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Deuteronomy is just before Joshua. Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. God says, speaking of the children of Israel, they have acted corruptly towards him, they are not his children because of their defect, but a perverse and crooked generation. Interesting. Israel became, this passage is saying, like the world around them. God said, I'm sending you into Canaan, the land of Canaan. You are to be different. Deuteronomy 32, five. You are to be different. You are not to live like them. You are not to intermarry with them. You are not to behave like them. You are not to follow false gods like them. But Israel, he is saying prophetically, in a sense, will become like the people around them, a perverse and a crooked generation. Now, Israel is not to be that. Israel was to be the light to the world, the light to the Gentiles, the, the light to the Goyim is the Hebrew word, the nations of the world. Not to be like them, not a crooked and a perverse generation. And Israel, instead of be becoming a light, she really lost her identity as God's people. And Paul says in Romans 2.24, because of you, the word of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. They look at you and they say, your God is nothing. You see, Israel talked a good talk, but they didn't walk a good walk. You see, the world needs to see us for who we really are, God's children, who behaved like God himself, Christ-like. Not a grumbling, arguing group of people. Now notice how he describes our world. Notice he calls our world a crooked and perverse generation. It doesn't just mean the Philippians generation. It didn't just mean the generation of Canaanites. It meant every generation who who is not believers. Every community, crooked and perverse. what What does that mean? It means that it's a... A morally warped world. Do you understand that? Don't be naive. We live in a morally warped world, twisted and crooked. And you know why they became that way? They became spiritually distorted because they have always twisting and turning from the straight path of God's word. You just twist and turn enough from the straight path of God's word, and you become twisted and bent out of shape. And it is a, a horrible world that we live in. It's a depraved world crooked and perverse, like someone whose body is just bent out of proportion, because the world is bent in so many ways to avoid the straight truth of God's Word that they permanently end up crooked and twisted and perverted. This is the world that we live in, the world that may have Christmas specials on television, but they care absolutely nothing about the truth of Jesus Christ. And God says that he has put us smack in the midst of this crooked and warped world to what? Among whom you appear as lights in the world among whom you appear as lights. In other words, we're to function as lights in a dark world. We're the only light that's in this dark, crooked, twisted, depraved world. There are no other lights. Tremendous truth. Listen, let me, let me put this in perspective for you, what Paul is really saying. He's saying this, that one way the community we live in can know that we are God's children is if we don't grumble and argue like everybody else around us. See the world does that. The world complains all the time. I don't know if you realize that. I, I don't. I don't know if that really hits you. But this week, as I thought about it, it really hit me. We complain about nonsense, nothing. We argue about everything from traffic jams to where we get seated at a restaurant. I was with some uh, unsaved folks not too long ago, and uh, we were seated at a restaurant, and the waiter. And it's a very nice restaurant. Waiter did not pour water in the first five minutes that we were there. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? One of the persons that I was with had a fit. And you know what they were doing? They were gone about it. For five minutes this went on. Think about that. Think about that. What a horrible thing. You didn't get water served in the first five minutes that you were there. Listen, that's the norm. That's the way the world... The world has a fit. The world has a fit if there's a lump in their mattress. I mean, dumb things. If we don't get a parking spot right away. If we look for shoes and they don't have our size and they're going to get it in two weeks, what are we going to do? And you see, when Christians do that, then we lose our distinctiveness. We lose our distinctiveness, especially when you start arguing with one another about nonsense, even about important things, but especially about nonsense, nothing. We're to be different. We're not to go through life expected to be treated as kings, and when I arrive, I want my water right now, or you don't get your tip. You see, that type of mentality, that is, serve me, I'm paying for this. Instead, we're to go through life treating others as kings. That's really what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2, treat others as kings. And by that very attitude of putting other people first and being interested in their interests, the world will take note that you're different. And they're going to conclude that you are different because you are a believer
2: if you share with them why you're different. If you share with them, that is just as essential as being different. Pastor Steve will explain in just a minute. Meanwhile, we would like to welcome those who have just tuned in. It's nice to have you in class today. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff.
1: Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to take a few minutes to let you know how pleased I am that you're listening to this ministry. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to teach people the Word of God so that they can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and glorify Him. And from what we're hearing, that's what's happening in the lives of those who are listening. One of the great desires of my heart is to make the Word of God clear so that people can understand what God means by what He says and based on the input that we're getting from our listeners, that's exactly what's being accomplished. Now, as a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that verse by verse needs your financial support. We appreciate it, and we do need it. It's costly to prepare and broadcast these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please prayerfully consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax-deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. Once again, Thanks. Thanks for giving to this ministry and for supporting it. And may the Lord richly bless you, strengthen you as you listen to him speak through his word, verse by verse.
2: A popular quote these days came from St. Francis, who said, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Well, words are necessary. And here is Pastor Steve to tell us why. What he is saying in verse
1: 15 is that by your example, the world ought to take note of you. But let me say we have to be careful at this point. There are some Christians who conclude that my witnessing responsibility stops with a life. I just live an example before them, and I give a silent witness, and they ought to see by my life that I'm a Christian, and they'll come to me and ask me. I have been a believer since 1971, honestly, I have never had anybody ever come up to me and say, your life is different, tell me about Christ. Now, maybe it reflects my life, I don't know. But I've honestly never had somebody, now I've had people obviously see that something is different, but I've never had somebody say, sit down with me and tell me what makes you different. Never. And I don't expect that to happen, but you need to understand that Just giving a silent witness is not what the Bible calls witnessing. Just your example is not enough. true story I heard recently illustrates the danger of this thinking. If you just stop and say, all I have to do is lead a godly life. This is a true story. Christian businessman in Seattle had a business associate that he had known for years, but he never told this associate that he was a Christian. Never told him. Well, his associate went to a Billy Graham crusade and he heard the gospel and he came to know Christ at the crusade. And then he went back to his Christian friend and he said, I've become a Christian. And his Christian business associate got very excited at the, and and the new convert said, you mean you're a Christian? He said, sure, I've been a Christian for years. And you know what this new convert said? He said, I've been, I've put off being a Christian for years because I reasoned if you can live that good of a life without Jesus Christ, then I don't need Christ either. You see the great danger of just living an example? Now, you've got to have an example, or else your, what, your words have no credibility. But if all they see is an example, they may very well be driven from the gospel and not driven to the gospel. Very important. So we need to, to balance this out. And the balance is found in verse 16. Paul writes, and it's really a continued continued thought, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But that expression, holding fast the word of life, it means we are to not only be examples to this twisted generation, but we are to hold out to them God's word. It doesn't mean that we cling to the word of God. The thought here is that we hold it out to them like a torch, a light. We are lights in the world, and we are to hold out the word of life to them like a a, a relay race. And what is that word of life is obviously the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of life, the word of God. We are to practice and proclaim God's word to others, and that's why unity is so important. Why? Why? Because by practicing what we preach, we have credibility with our message. Our message is believable. I'm telling you, it's not believable if, you, if you're in a church that's always arguing. It's not believable. The world has every legitimate right to say, why should I listen to them? Character and content. So the purpose for unity is to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. What we do here and how we conduct ourselves really matters out there. We claim to believe something, we've got to practice something. There's another reason. It's sort of a twofold reason. It's a subtle one, but notice Paul says at the end of verse 16, this is this is uh, it's enjoyable for me at least, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. You know what he's saying? He's saying someday I'm going to stand before the Lord. After the rapture of the church, the day of Christ, I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to evaluate my work. He's going to evaluate my ministry, and he's going to look at you Philippians because you're going to be there too. And he's going to see, did you practice what you preached? Did you spread the gospel? Did you really live a life of credibility? And if you did, Paul said, well, then I haven't labored in vain. My reward is greater. You say, is Paul just into rewards? No, it's not a self-censored reward. When God gives out rewards, it really brings him glory because he's the one who's doing it through us. Paul is saying, you know, uh, I would like you Philippians to really spread the gospel because on that day, my reward will be greater. He said, otherwise I could be disqualified. You ever you ever have the experience of running a race only that you were disqualified but you didn't know it? You exerted all this energy only to get to the finish line, and uh, the judge says, you stepped out of bounds over there. Well, I've never had that, but I can imagine how frustrating it is. You want to know how I apply this? Best thing you could do for me, I mean, I love Milano cookies, but the best thing you can do for me, live a godly life. My reward will be greater. The elders, this church, our reward will be greater. Wonderful to eat cookies here, but that's nothing compared to the reward in heaven. You want to, you want to do something nice for me? Obey what Philippians chapter 2 is saying. In fact, obey what we teach every week if it's what's based on God's word and we trust it is. Let's bow for prayer. Do you grumble? Do you complain? In the quietness of this morning, without thinking about what you're going to do when you get out of here and all those other things, distractions, do you grumble and argue? About what others in the church do or say? Does it really get under your skin? Far better than grumbling and complaining is if if, if you must go to that person. Confront them if they've really done something to offend you. But if it's just your sensitivity and your attitude of serve me, then confess it and repent. By repent, I mean change your mind, get a different attitude. Turn away from a bad attitude. That's a self-serving attitude. If you grumble and complain about everything, realize it's a sin against God, and it will affect your testimony for Christ. Others will take note of it. Do you grumble and complain in your family? Well, that's where it's really easy to grumble and complain. Argue. Dispute. What, What do your neighbors think? What do your business associates think if you grumble and complain at work? You claim to love. You claim that God has changed you by his grace. Let's see it in your lives. You see, our testimony is at stake. The most important thing we have, apart from our own personal salvation, is our reputation, the reputation of Christ. You lose that, you've lost it all. Our church's reputation is most important. What you do amongst other believers affects how the community views the gospel. Let's put that in order. And while we're talking about evangelism, is it possible that you have been attending church for a while, maybe even just a visitor? First time, and you've never trusted Christ. You don't know what evangelism is about. It's about this. You're a sinner. You can't get to heaven by your own good works, but only through the forgiveness of sins, which comes because Jesus Christ has died for those sins. And you need to trust him. You need to trust that his death was for you, and you need to receive his gift, an attitude of humility and submission to him. Do you call upon Christ to save you? And then let one of our leaders know. They'll be up at the front. I'll be in the back. Let us know. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's powerful. Thank You that we could interact with the minds of Yourself this morning. Lord, these are truths that need to grip us. And I don't know where everybody is in their own lives. I don't know what goes on in the home, what goes on at business, but You do. And I pray You'll apply these truths where they need to be applied. Lord, for my own life, I pray that You'll help me to be a better servant to not grumble, complain, but to remember these truths. And I pray that the unsaved around us, Lord, will take note that at Lakeside we're different. We're different by the grace of God, and that they won't take note because we've handed out some kind of a leaflet to them, but they'll take note of us because our lives speak volumes of the grace of God and the transformation that comes from Christ in us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to know that we can obey and to not give any kind of a... Uh, justification for not for for disobeying because the example of Christ is is too perfect. Pray that you help us to live out these truths, Lord, simply because they're your words to
2: us. For this we pray in, in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. I hope you have been as challenged and encouraged as I have been these last few days. Challenged to be more obedient and encouraged that God will help us to obey and He will reward obedience at the right time and in the right way. There is still much to learn from Philippians chapter 2, so just keep a bookmark right there in your Bible so that you are ready when we come back with the next Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries has the pleasure of making his practical messages into radio programs and we pray that they are helping you in your spiritual life. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen again to today's class or a previous one, please visit our website versebyverseradio.org you can listen online or download the file to listen later or share with a friend. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today was the conclusion of a three-part message. It is often helpful to hear a message in its entirety with no interruptions. If you would like to do that, you can order an audio CD. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. We have been progressing through chapter 2 of Philippians and learning about unity in the church. The next essential part of unity that we will be considering is servanthood. We tend to think of servants as lowly people. But the Lord has wonderful things to say about those who serve others rather than themselves. You may be surprised to know that when we serve others, we find joy that most people only dream about. Pastor Steve will have more on the next verse by verse.
0: We are here to give you strength between.